Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. fellas i'm already done but i had to get out the extra large uh, opening for the greatest sporting event in the world the world cup it is finally here the reason we started the podcast in the first place of course yes we talk about the premier league but we have been biding our time just like cutter just like the rest of the world to get to this day today where we get to talk about the greatest competition there is and we are incredibly fortunate today and you are even luckier than we are that you're not going to have to just listen to my nonsense you're not going to have to listen to Brett's nonsense. We have brand new nonsense for you. Ryan O'Hanlon, one of the uh, best analytical thinkers in this business, straight from ESPN and straight from his new book, Net Gains, has decided to debase himself today and join us to talk about the World Cup. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm great. I'm happy happy to provide a new brand of nonsense to the show. Well, you got to bring your A game today because you actually owe me big time. Uh, a little behind the scenes, Ryan and I talked at the beginning about possibly doing this podcast together, but he couldn't do it because he was about to become a big wig over at ESPN. But he said, <laughs> "Do you know this guy, Brett?" Uh, so the ah. reason that we have Brett on the show is the Ryan introduced us. The origin story is being revealed. And as a result, you owe me because you have saddled me with this guy for a year and a half. So you got to make it up in the next thirty minutes. Okay, I'll do. I'll do my best. And I really that it was more of a prank than me trying to help either of you guys out. You fell for it. Uh, all right. Well, I say we just dive right in, Brett. We've been waiting long enough. Do you have anything to say to the audience before we get right into a preview? No, I think they're here. I mean, they're here for the man of the hour. Let's just let him talk. Uh, as Ryan has been told before, ninety um, percent of this inter- ninety-seven percent of this interview is going to be you talking, Brett. <laughs> Yeah, and somehow, and somehow you collect the paychecks. I don't know how that works. You're the one who actually owes Ryan. Um, but let's get into the games. And so, and I'm sorry, let's not get into the games. We're going to do a first uh, tournament preview, and then we're going to do the USA game, the England game. I'm not the England game. The USA game, the Canada game, and the Mexico game. My head's already in Qatar thinking about all the different games that we're going to be watching. Uh, but looking ahead to the entire Ryan, uh, Ryan, entire tournament, Ryan, I'm so excited. I'm so flustered. I have a favorite guest on, and we have the best event. Uh, let's just get it out of the way fast. So who are you taking to win and why? This is going to be a boring answer for a, a betting show, but Brazil, um, they've been, they're the favorites to win for the, for good reason. I think that they've been um, the best national team in the world for six years now. Um, they're, Elimination to Belgium at the last World Cup was kind of a huge fluke, in my opinion. The Belgium got dominated, but ended up winning 2-1. They also lost to Argentina in the Copa America final um, in another game where they outplayed the other team, but lost. <laughs> Beyond that, they've basically not lost any other games um, since their current manager, Ch- Chiche, was hired back in 2016. They, they concede, like, I don't know what the exact number is, might have changed with uh, the games recently, but they've conceded about fewer than four goals per year uh, since he became the coach in 2016. 
that's per year, not uh, per competition <laughs> or anything like that. And then they have an insane amount of attacking depth as well. Um, I don't know. They're, people always do the the alternate France lineups like this. These guys that didn't play for France could have won the World Cup. I think Brazil's like attackers, Roberto Firmino, guys like that that just simply didn't get called up. Felipe Coutinho, guys like that. Um, you know, Brazil could have a very competitive second team. So amazing defense and all the Brazilian attacking that everyone's used to. Basically, it's pretty simple, in my opinion. Well, we can't give you too much crap, Ryan, because Brett and I both took the exact same team on Against All Odds in the preview before. And right. our rationale, I mean, I know we know it is a betting show. Uh, walking through it, like, I, I view, and I don't know about you, Ryan, you're the analytical expert here. I view, like, we played this tournament 100 times. Brazil's going to win it 25 to 30 times. And yeah. I think everybody else around them is going to win it less than, you know, 10 times, or, you know, somewhere in, like, the 5 to 8 range. And then, but when you look at the odds, Brazil's plus 400. And then you got France and Germany and Spain and all those other teams clustered at them, like, just slightly less at, like, plus 650 or uh, plus 550 for, I think it's Argentina. Uh, so... Closest to true odds, strangely, is Brazil. So in some ways, the favorite represents the best value if you look at it from an analytical perspective. Yeah, I think that that seems about right. There's uh, this guy, uh, Jan von Haren, who's a data analyst at Club Brugge in Belgium. He He's kind of collated every uh, projection he could find for the tournament and done an average. And uh, basically it says, Toby, you're, you, you have an, I know a supercomputer in your head, uh, Brazil's <laughs> basically 20.15% to win. Then next best is Argentina at 12.6. Then there's basically a cluster of teams after that. So, um, all the people that try to quantify this, however they can agree with you. So. I wasn't aware there was anything in my head besides bad soccer puns <laughs> and a bunch of nonsense about how the USA might win this whole thing. So I appreciate you lying to the audience and telling them there's a supercomputer in there. Uh, all right. So now we got that out of the way, because that's obviously what everybody wants to know. First off, let's get into something a little bit more interesting. And Brett, I want you to join in on this one as well. Ryan's not the only analytical uh, genius that we have on this show. We definitely don't have three, but we at least have two. Is somebody uh, else so coming on later? Who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Ryan, in your book, there's this really interesting anecdote about you talking, uh, to somebody who's running an analytical department for a team and you ask them what basically is their job. And I believe his response and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong is making sure that the best players play the most minutes. So using that lens, which managers do you trust the most, uh, among the international teams to follow that simple credo and which ones do you trust the least? Ooh, good question. Yeah, that's uh, Luke Bourne, who's now a co-owner of Toulouse in France and AC Milan um, in Italy. And yeah, he was saying that, yeah, the biggest challenge to having your kind of uh, analytical scouting payoff is you need the coaches to play the guys that you, the guys that you signed, um, <laughs> even if the coaches don't think that they're uh, any good. And I think that that's a big issue with international soccer, where I think coaches, you know, it's a, it's a tough balance where it's, you can't really play the same way you play in club soccer. It's just impossible to like create the same cohesion with barely playing together and not being able to, you know, you can't control who's born where basically, although cutter has tried to, um, get anyone they can from anywhere. Um, so, you know, there's a, a balance between just like, Oh, let's just play all our best players. And then let's, you know, play the system that works. I think, you know, unsurprisingly, like I think, Germany, who has Hansi Flick as their manager, who won the Champions League with Bayern Munich, basically at Bayern Munich by playing a system that 
in the same way like someone would play FIFA, basically. Um, shove every attacker you can on the field. Shove your two best passing midfielders on the field and press super high. Um, and so he's, you know, he'll, the best players for Germany will not be, I don't think there'll be a huge um, controversy of, you know, uh, Joshua Kimmich, like not being on the field or something. So he stands out to me. I would say Luis Enrique too, but he like left Tiago and Sergio Ramos off of Spain's squad. So maybe he'll pick the best players among his squad, but he, you know, left two of the better players at their positions in the world um, off the roster because <laughs> he wanted to build for the future and not, you know, win a world cup, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> and then I think, you know, the classic ones and guys that don't play their best players are Fernando Santos with Portugal always leans toward a much more um, conservative style. And then Gareth Southgate with England, who also leans to a much more conservative style. And so, yeah, that, that would be, those are the ones that stand out at least among the favorites. How about for you, Brett? Who you got question marks about? I mean, I think the thing is, and uh, as an Everton fan, this is not just throwing shade at him for what he did there, but like Roberto Martinez in Belgium, um, he's going to play, he sticks to this kind of same system with three at the back, but he's going to play with Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld, And those guys are old uh, and they're going to have to cover a lot of space. I don't think their wingbacks are good enough to justify like playing wingbacks. Um, their strength is going to be obviously in their midfield. Like they're going to have Breuner, they're going to have Tillemans. I mean, Axel Witzel is like a fine holding midfielder for the international soccer. Um, but you know, the thing is, is like there's no point in jamming a bunch of their attackers onto the pitch because and then I believe, you know, you joked about this last night with Hazard Toby. Like Hazard is on his way to MLS or maybe even a worse league at this point. Um, you know, Lukaku is done basically nothing in enter. He struggled last year at Chelsea. So you have basically a combination of all their attackers are either washed coming back from injury or old or a combination of all three. And you would think that a manager then would want to scramble and find a formation that he can accent the strengths of what he does have. Um, and I don't think he's going to do that at all. And that's partially why when we get to our games, uh, it's going to be, Oh, Canada all the time, baby. <laughs> well, we might have already stepped on the next question. I think you just tipped your answer, Brett, but uh, I do want to hear Ryan's and then you can confirm yours. Of the eight group favorites, Netherlands, England, Argentina, France, Spain, Belgium, Brazil, and Portugal, who do you think is most in danger of being on a very miserable flight home two weeks from now? Ooh, good question. Uh, I think, uh, let me pick someone other than Belgium because that would be my answer. Um, but uh <laughs> I don't if Brett's going to give the same answer and he just gave all of my reasoning. So I don't want to just steal his. I want to no, pl please do, because then it makes me look better, man. Just go ahead. Well, then I'll just say <laughs> it. In a more I'll, I'll say it in a more eloquent, eloquent way. And pronounce you, the names you'll actually, right. you'll if, actually if you sound it, worse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you pronounce the names right and say it more eloquently, it'll be perfect for me. <laughs> so to go, to go off that, I think, um, I think Spain, I think Spain is like the team that, with a legitimate chance of winning the world cup that could also go out in the group stages, just because Germany is also in their group. And then also Japan is in the group as well. And Japan is like, you know, they're like a top 20 team, right? So Spain loses to Germany. That's a loss. And then they tie Japan. Um, Japan wins their other game. Japan ties Germany. Japan goes through. So I think from like, that's more of like, that's less of a criticism of Spain, the quality of Spain's team. And I think it's just the difficulty of the group with Germany. And I think Japan is a very solid third team um, in this tournament. 
I couldn't agree more. I gave out the same one yesterday with Sal in the group. I think Japan's an extraordinarily live dog, and I would avoid Spain and Germany in the betting markets right now just because I think, you know, it's such high odds of uh, qualifying or winning. You have a, taking a huge risk that they're not going to make it out of even the group stage. And so that, yeah. I mean, there's not like a true group of death this time around, but do not sleep on Japan. And I wouldn't uh, take either of those traditional powerhouses with any of my money at present. What about you, Brett? Besides Belgium, I know you want to say Belgium and say somebody else. No, uh, no <laughs> I mean, just pick all the favorites. <laughs> let's just do all of it. Let's just go through all of it. I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's, I think a lot has been said about England. Um, but I, 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 just to kind of go back on what Ryan talked about Spain is, you know, Enrique has went with basically the Barcelona midfield in this thing. And I mean, Ryan can back this up because he knows probably the numbers a little bit better, but that midfield like doesn't have anybody that does the defensive stuff, which makes the the Thiago exclusion seem even more weird um, that you're just going to like, you know, in international soccer, you don't have this time to build these like complex, like possession based systems. So like immediately inserting a midfielder who's still at the tail end of his prime that like does things like win the ball back would seem like a no brainer thing to do. Um, so that makes me really yeah. nervous about what Spain's trying to accomplish here. Uh, it seems like there's more. And I mean, <laughs> this obviously broke Ryan's heart and it's ridiculous to hear it, but like he made the comment about the set pieces. Like we don't even train them because they're yeah. random. And that in Ryan's really book, in Ryan's book, net games, uh, we talk, we talk about the value of set pieces and he mentions and Ryan mentions also, um, how many were scored at the last world cup as like a disproportionate amount compared to normal club play. So like there's real question marks. I wanted to be a little bit more bullish on Japan. Um, but they also like left what I thought was one of their uh, best attackers there. He was, and they took the second best Japanese attacker on Celtic. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think that's kind of an interesting thing that's going yeah. on there. Um, but England, England, definitely, uh, I, I think Ryan and I have talked about this out there. Toby, you and I have discussed it a little bit with Southgate. The conservative approach, um, you know, the, the the way that soccer, the smart soccer thinkers, the guy this, that Ryan talks to in his book, is like you want to create as many goals in a match as possible because it favors the more talented team. And Southgate wanting to play these really conservative matches, like playing like a double pivot of like Calvin Phillips and um, Declan Rice, when he has all these really good, young, talented English attackers, like that just seems like it's a recipe for failure in the randomness of a lock, knockout tournament. So I, I you know, again, we're, we want to try to cover as much as we can. I still think Spain has the biggest question marks. It seems like there's like some weird ideological thing going on with Enrique versus yeah. like, I want to win this tournament. Um, so I, I think they would still be one of my top concerns outside of Belgium, but obviously you can't overlook the Southgate factor. He's doing a Twitch streams after every game though, to talk to the fans. So you gotta, well, that's good. Uh, so, I don't know. How do you include like that in your betting promotion. model? Which job does yeah. that help him get? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is he doing Twitch streams to sell his NFTs? I mean, like, where's his head at? Rely on, concentrate on the freaking World Cup. You get to play it three times in your life. Uh, all right. Well, one of my favorite things about the World Cup is, you know, kind of new faces on the world stage. It's it's a little bit sharper back in the olden days, right? When, like, there wasn't as much broadcasting of soccer here in America, and you might only see guys once every four years, just kind of like in the 1980s, you 
you might only see like a National League player in the All-Star game if you lived in an American League town. Uh, so there's a lot more uh, kind of information and availability for guys. Guys become household age much earlier with the Internet and trade rumors and all that. We hear about them really young and then follow them earlier. But for people that aren't like in the transfer market day to day and refreshing uh, weird, weird international news sources just to get a, get lied to on the regular, who are the possible fresh faces that aren't on major uh, teams right now that are going to like triple their transfer market value in the next month. I'm thinking like James Rodriguez from Columbia in 2014 did this. I'm not thinking like Jude Bellingham because he's already going to sell for $200 million to Liverpool and make Ryan sad for the next five years when he breaks his leg. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Don't put that on Bellingham. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think it's an interesting question, like not to be the bearer of bad news. I feel like soccer has mostly evolved beyond um, just signing guys because they played well at the world cup um and i think a good example is like i don't know like vinicius jr let's say i don't think he's a widely known player to sort of your average you know fan that maybe like watches a game here and there because he plays in la liga um and there's more famous brazilian players but like he signed with real madrid as a teenager right well in the past like maybe vinicius jr is playing for sao paulo and killing it and then get calls up to the brazil squad and then like everyone falls in love with him because he's like very much the prototypical style of player that I think your average fan watches. And they're like, this guy's like rainbowing the ball over the people and he's smiling the whole time and he's getting hacked and his teammates are defending him. And then he just dribbles again and again and again. I, so he's like, you know, as you were asking your question, he's who came up. I mean, in terms of players that don't play for bigger teams that could like increase their value. I don't know. It's interesting. I am looking through the odds. I mean, I don't like, I'm not particularly bullish on Serbia, but like Mitrovic, I, th- I could see yes. like causing some problems and people, you know, just throwing people around being a beefy dude. I could see people maybe falling in love with him a little bit. And if, you know, Serbia gets lucky against Brazil, beats Switzerland, you know, makes a little bit of a run. I guess I could see him because um, I think he's always been underrated for basically his entire career should probably be on a better team than Fulham at this point. Yeah, Ryan, I'm, I'm like three more Chelsea games away from getting a custom Mitrovic jersey and trying to <laughs> will it into the universe that we sign him next year and he becomes our new Diego Costa. What about you, Brett? Do you have anybody in mind that uh, you want to uh, G- bring down? Gakpo Mania with the Dutch. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think he That's would a good be... One. He would probably be the, I think if you're looking at like the younger up and coming talent, like which that was kind of what James was, that would probably be mine, especially obviously I'm, I'm more bullish on the Dutch. I think that they have a chance to go pretty far and probably be maybe one of the dark horses here. Um, and that would be like the perfect storm, right? You get the Dutch team. that's probably a little bit more of an afterthought this tournament. Then you get this young guy that's an attacker that can put the ball in the back of the net. You know, he scores four or five goals, gets close to the golden boot. And then all of a sudden, you know, his transfer value just skyrockets, right? Um, That he just seems like the natural one to me. I'm sure there are other ones that maybe I'm overlooking, but that, that like the, the minute that, you know, we saw that, or that I saw the question in the email, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the guy. Like that's, that was the no brainer one for me. Speaking of Canada. if, Go ahead, throw, throw one out there. Jonathan David's maybe a oh, decent yeah. one. That'd be another, that'd be another um, one. He's kind of the second fiddle to Alfonso Davies. Has been pretty pretty productive in Liga. Is kind of a really good like all around attacker. Like he's decent at everything basically. And he's Canada's going to play a kind of counter attacking style, so he'll be in space a lot. And I could I could see him kind of maybe blowing up if Canada makes a bit of a run. 
Uh, well, let me throw out a complete homer, guys, because I don't know if you guys know this, but I root for the United States of America. Yeah, you, uh, we, I know that because you dress like you just came from a Trump rally last night. <laughs> oh, do I? Do I? Is that how I dress? Uh, so, Yudis Musa, uh, playing at Valencia, uh, transfer market right here, has him at about $20 million. He's been playing well in Europe. He's going to feature in every American game. There's obviously value in Americans for commercial purposes, as Christian Pulisic can attest. Uh, I think he's at about 20 million right now. Will he be at a major club for 50, 60 million, you know, within the next year? Ooh, I hate to keep giving Toby props, but Yunus Musa to me is like the one player. Well, he's not the one player. There's a handful. I don't know. I feel like Brett, we've talked about this. Like if you watch him play in Valencia, it's not, it's not really not much is going on. Like he, he just mm-hmm. doesn't really do much, but for the U S I think he's actually a really effective and pretty exciting midfielder. Um, so I think he's like one of the few players where like how he plays with the national team, like is potentially a more accurate representation of how good he is at soccer. Um, and you know, he's super young and he plays midfield in a way that's like pretty easy to understand. I think it's not like a Busquets style, like covering spaces and doing little turns out of traffic. He's just going to be like dribbling through a press and then, you know, potentially dribbling in on goal. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, and you know, midfield is a, it's kind of a mystery position, right? It's not, you know, based on stats really. So yeah, I actually think I could see that. Well, I mean, Ryan, you and I have talked about this obviously over the years offline, but like we, I think one of the discussions we had is like, does the value of, or do the impact of midfielders change in international play versus club play? And I, and you, we talked about like maybe pressing is one of the reasons like the, the lack of it in international soccer I mean, is that something too that would like help Musa basically look better because midfielders are yeah. generally more influential, like in this type of international tournament than they would be in club play? Yeah, like pressing, just to put a number on it, like you could roughly determine pressing how much a team presses by like opponent pass completion percentage, right? And France and Brazil, among all the teams in the in the World Cup, allow the first and third highest pass completion percentage and they're the two uh <laughs> two of the three favorites to win yeah. well that would you know the teams that allow that in the premier league would be the worst teams in the league so pressing is less prominent um and there's just more the ball moves a lot slower and there's more space for like a midfielder to push closer to the goal and then affect things near the goal which is a lot harder i think for them to do in the club game so yeah i think for that reason as well uh Toby's supercomputer is at it again. <laughs> so, Ryan, let, let's uh, let's push on that for just one second and talk about play styles that are different in club versus the international game. Because I think that's really helpful to our particular audience since we usually talk about the Premier League. And okay. this is an adjustment since we don't talk a lot of international since we've been waiting for the World Cup. So uh, my limited knowledge, not uh, not that I have a supercomputer, my limited knowledge, you two are the geniuses, is that the trends in international soccer, or as you said, it's not as based on the press and the counter press. And then set pieces, penalties and things like that are wildly more influential in the international game because it's a little bit simpler and and not as complex as the club game. Uh, one, is that generalization, you know, backed up by the numbers? And two, which teams does that really help the most? You know, Brazil has all the superstars and that's why they're the favorite. But who, who might uh, the odds makers be overlooking? Because the international game is different than just the sum of the individual parts. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's generally right. I think the set pieces are, I don't think, if, I don't necessarily think they're like 
maybe they are slightly more appreciated by coaches in international soccer, but I think they're just more valuable because there's fewer games, fewer goals. So anywhere you can find a goal, it's more valuable. And it's harder to score from open play in international soccer because it's a lot easier to create a structured defense, right? It's just positioning while creating a structured open play attack is very hard. So if it's a lot harder to score from open play, the cost and time effectiveness of practicing set pieces is like even higher compared to the club game. And as Brett said, highest percentage of goals were scored at a world cup on set pieces at the last world cup. Um, so I mean, uh, I think you'll I didn't s- say that your book said that your book told that's me that. Just that's so you know. But like, that's everybody why knows. A, that's Net why you write a book. Told like, me that. You write a book so then people can just cite anything in it as fact without mentioning the book. Like I've created yeah. more, more factual information for people to, you know, uh, pawn off as their own going forward. <laughs> I will be stealing it very soon and I will not be should. giving you credit, just so you know. <laughs> as you should. I mean, so I'll throw uh, Denmark as one that's very good at set pieces. I mean, they're the team in the book called FC Mitchell and they're kind of the you know, they might be the most advanced, they're as advanced as like any baseball team in terms of how much they're using data. And they have been the best team at set pieces in Europe basically for almost a decade. And there's a lot of bleed over, I think, from Michelin and then the other clubs in Denmark have caught on and then it bleeds into the national team. So I think, I think Denmark in terms of like teams that will leave the fewest edges, um, I, I would say Denmark is at the top of that, in my opinion. What about you, Brett? Are you about to throw out your boys, the Dutch? No, no, definitely not the Dutch. Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, I mean, I hate the Dutch like, are going to um, need set pieces if they're going to score. Yes, they exactly. <laughs> will. Uh, Wood white horses are going to do it on its own. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I, I picking back up a Ryan. I mean that uh, it, there's a cool link too. We should mention this since we do a premier league podcast. I was to between Brent Brentford um, <clears throat> and FC Midland. And so like that, that are, there's a connection there. And we talk about Brentford all the time as being one of the smartest teams in the premier league. And they've obviously punched way above their weight since they've been there. Um, and I think, uh, and again, this is all in Ryan's book. So I'm going to keep promoing the book that carryover of when they took the league by storm in the Danish league, um, it filtered down to the whole thing. And so now there's a culture of belief about that. And so I think Denmark just has to be the natural answer. And part of it is like, which of these old school, like, international managers are and i mean and we've talked about enrique who straight out came out and said he does not care about set pieces and will not practice them so spain would be the team that i would say will have no impact on this but i think just because of the culture of the country like it's hard to look anywhere but denmark because it's part of their domestic league and domestic league still influence national teams even as the sports gotten more globalized like that's still a thing yeah uh, all right, so just a little bit more on betting before we get you out of here, Ryan. Uh, okay. You are one of the foremost experts on analytics in the field, just literally wrote a book on it. But um, how helpful do you find analytics in individual matchups for for single games? You know what I mean? Like, I know it can help you identify trends over time, but when you're looking at single game results, are there any leading indicators handicappers should be paying attention to when they're trying to make their picks? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... <sighs> even like the good underlying numbers, like expected goals or, and this isn't even really an underlying number, but like touches in the penalty area, which to me is like, so you've got expected goals. That's how many chances you created. And then if you have a lot of touches in the penalty area, it means you have this, like, you know, I don't know how uh, laying cement works, but I imagine there's like a top level and then there's another level below it. 
So the expected goals are here. It's good that you've got cement, you know, you need that. And then whatever the touches in the penalty area are, are suggest like a more, it makes the, makes me more confident that that expected goal number will continue into the future. Cause if you're just creating like six good chances on six attacks into the penalty area, very hard to recreate that. Even if expected goals is a predictive stat over the long run. So I guess if I was looking at single game stats, I would look at those things in concert. Like I would look at expected goals and then kind of look at like, is the team also getting the ball into dangerous areas? And I think you, you can find public, you know, penalty area touch stats um, to see, to get, to feel a little more confident in it. Um, and, and I mean, I think, you know, most of the time I would say no to this, but like the world cup is so many people are going to be betting on the world cup. So I imagine the lines will not be like as efficient as they are in the premier league. So I think there might, there could, I don't know for sure, but I think there could be, there could be potential value in seeing a team that loses like two nothing, but they, you know, created two expected goals and gave up 0.5 and got unlucky um, in the next game. Potentially, potentially, I think in a way that there might not be in the premier league. Regression comes for everybody, but messy. That's what Brett keeps telling me. So you're saying yeah. if you see a result that causes a run on the window uh, as people are reactionary, look at the underlying stats and see if it goes too far. I think that's excellent yeah. advice. Brett, you went five for five last week. Did you use these numbers to do it or did you just stumble into some luck for once? No, mine, mine is more of a spiritual thing. There's a lot of candles <laughs> and seances involved. Um, a lot of burning of uh, spreadsheets for like incense and then, I just, it just, come, it just comes to me. It's just like here in my, in my head, in my heart, in my soul. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, wrapping up here, I got two last questions. One for our domestic audience and the super fans like me, uh, Ryan, what are your projections for the U S national team in this tournament and how much impact do you think there will be on their performance here? will have on the team as we enter the all important 2026 world cup when we are the host nation. Uh, I think the, from, to answer the last question first, I think the performance will prop will almost definitely determine who the manager is after the world cup. And then going into 2026, I think a bad performance, Greg Berhalter probably has no shot at being the coach in 2026, a good performance. Um, I shouldn't even say good performance, good results. And he may have a shot at being the coach in 2026. I mean, here's, here's how I look at the U S I have the boring answer which is that they're like the 16th best team in the world cup, which means could make it to the knockout rounds also could go home early. Soccer's random. It sucks. You know, um, <laughs> I, I, on the show industry, one guy described someone asked this guy, why, why do people like soccer so much? And he's like, because it dispenses joy and misery at random. Um, <laughs> you know, get ready for that. But so if you want to be bullish on the U S right, getting back to play your best players, right. The fear for the U S was that, they are not a deep team, right? Like they're a younger soccer nation. We ha there's a lot of promising players, but like, you know, you get rid of the champions league starter and that's a guy playing in MLS potentially as the backup. So the downside was like Pulisic and Ray Gio Reyna getting injured. Right. And all of the got like the core five death, Serginio Dest, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Pulisic and Reyna. Um, they're all healthy um, going into the first game and they've never played a full 90 minutes together ever. So if like the 16th best team is kind of where the projection models lead you to think of the U S with all their best players playing, they might be better than that. But then the, the flip side of that is those guys have never played a, a like important game altogether. So like there's, I believe that there's some sort of like benefit in co having some kind of cohesion. So I don't know. It, 
with that facet, I'm very interested to see how they play. I think there's a, they're like one of the highest volatility teams, I would say, in the tournament. Um, I could see them going home. I could see it actually all clicking and they maybe make a run to the quarters or something like that too. Well, now you're the one with the supercomputer in your head because it's almost even money for them to get out of the group stage. It's very close to even on either side. So you handicapped it without even trying to handicap it. But I will ask you, look at you, (laughs) Uh, Brett and I will give our pick after the break, but I will ask you, what do you think about for the first game versus Wales? The three outcomes, win, lose, or draw are almost even in terms of the betting odds. So if you had to pick one of those three outcomes, regardless of weight of, uh, of wager, which one do you think is the most likely result? Draw. I think uh, the well baby. Draw might actually be the way to make money to it in this bet, potentially, given that you just I think a lot of people feel the way that Brett feels. Um I think the no, no, Wells, that, that's like my thing on the show is I take draws all the time. So it's the cow I could call it the coward's way out when I can't figure out always, if pick, there's any every all draws. Um <laughs> just all even draws when all you the guys, time. when you guys do your World Cup final preview, just <laughs> draw. <laughs> uh, they're just gonna no one's gonna hit a pe- the one of the first 20 penalties and they'll just split the trophy in half. Um, I think draw I think draw for the reasons I described, because I think there might be a little bit of growing pains in the first game. There's some rumors about like Tim Weah maybe starting at striker. Um, and Wales is just going to be a frustrating team to play against. Um, so I think I, I could just see it being a frustrating game for the U.S. And maybe they figure things out as as the games continue. You think Wales should, should start at striker? I mean, this has always been the problem with the U.S., right? Like I, I forget who had said it. Like it was like 15 years ago, they wanted to start a reality show called American Striker because we never <laughs> seem to have the one guy up top that allows us to be truly competitive on the international stage. So that's true again in 2022. We still don't have that focal point for our attack. We have a lot of great wingers and some decent midfielders, but we don't really have that, that talisman that's going to uh, bulge the net uh, with regularity. So given that, would you just play your best players, even if they're slightly out of position, or would you go with a striker, even if he's not one of your most talented 11? I think I I think Jesus Ferreira has actually played reasonably well with the U.S. He's hasn't finished well, but he's created a decent number of chances. Um, at least gets shots in games in a way that like Josh Sargent and Ricardo Pepe like will just go a full game and not take a single shot, and no one cares because they didn't see them miss the shot, right? Um, so I think maybe game one I go with Pereira, uh, Ferreira, and then I have Wea as like the Ferreira experiment fails. You maybe have a a quick hook at halftime, and then throw away out there and just get all your best players on the field. Cool. How do you watch the world cup? I mean, like you, you work in the industry, you have to cover it obviously uh, around the clock. You kind of talk about it all the time. Do you get the joy that I get out of it as a fan watching the world cup or is it just more work for you? How do you experience it? Uh, I think world cup more than like premier league or even champions league. I get some joy out of it just cause it's so like, it's not even like the best soccer, right. But it's so, like the drama of the World Cup is it's just absurd. It's like if you win the World Cup, it's totally redefines how you're viewed as a player. But like to win the World Cup, it's a max seven game tournament. And like every little thing that happens in the World Cup is magnified to like an absurd degree. Right. Every mischance, every, you know, miss call by the ref, whatever, every goal. It's like worth so much because it's a tournament with so few games and it happens once every four years. And like things change so much after four years. So I think like the pure drama of it is like, it's pretty, it's tough to, it's impossible to be. That's why it's the most popular sporting event in the world. 
Yeah, I, I think for you know people who ask me why I love it so much and why I get so into it, the closest analogy I can draw, and it's not a good analogy, but it's just the closest I can, is imagine the SEC only played once every four years and they only played four games. And so like yeah. all that pageantry <laughs> and all that passion and all that you see in college football here in America and like people revel in it and, and get joy out of it every fall. Well, imagine that was denied to you and imagine it didn't uh, go on as long. And then think yeah. about all that concentrated energy that would come out of you know that region of the country and the rest of the country as they wanted to watch it. That's how I feel. And that's how most of the rest of the world feels with this uh, this particular tournament. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, totally agree. Perfect. Uh, well, speaking of perfect, Ryan wrote one a absolutely perfect book. And as people are watching the World Cup and as people are getting more into it, this makes a great gift for yourself. It makes a great gift for your loved ones. Uh, I would also encourage you like this is something a little bit, you know, I, th- I think interesting. Like I got pretty decent at math growing up because I was obsessed with baseball statistics. Um, but now that we are entering into, you know, a new age and baseball is more or less dead and soccer is on the ascendancy in America, do the same thing for your 14, 15, 16 year old, give them the advanced analytics of soccer, let them read net gains and make them both smarter and more entertained to make yourself, you know, the coolest gift giver this Christmas. So net gains gets you cool points, even though it's a bunch of geeks talking about math. And I mean, the one thing I will say too about Ryan's book and, and Ryan's my guy, just like Toby's my guy. Like if Toby wrote a book called like, a children's series called Didier Dogba goes to Cutter. I would, <laughs> I would pimp that on here. Um, which, by the way, Ryan, you missed you missed that whole conversation. He had, she, they had a new puppy. He had a chance to name it Didier Dogba, and he, as a Chelsea fan, and he passed. Very upsetting. I would refuse to call the dog by its actual name now. Um, <laughs> but the thing about Ryan's book is, if you stumbled onto our show, uh, maybe because you watch AO or just because you found us, because you were looking for World Cup gambling advice, because you're a casual fan. Um, it is a great read. It is a really c- cool storytelling. It is definitely not just about numbers and spreadsheets. Uh, Ryan does an excellent job of crafting into a really good narrative. It is an enjoyable book. I- I'm I'm a huge soccer fan. Toby's going to love it because uh, he's a huge soccer fan. But even if you are not a huge soccer fan, it is a fun book to read. You will learn a lot. It 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 touches on all mm-hmm. types of similar uh, concepts that go on in sports. I just can't recommend it enough. Yeah. All right. Well, you don't have to plug it at all, Ryan, because we just spent three minutes plugging it for you. Anything else? Anything else you want to promote before we let you get out of here? No, I would say go buy go buy net gains if you enjoyed this conversation, if you hated this conversation, if you felt lukewarm about this conversation. <laughs> way, go buy it. Yeah, and after you finish it, keep reading Ryan at ESPN, where he writes some of the best stuff in the business. So, Ryan, we really appreciate you joining, helping us make the audience smarter for once, rather than having to listen to my <laughs> nonsense. Uh, we really appreciate, it and we hope you love the World Cup and come back and see us sometime. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the bets. All right, thanks, thanks Ryan. All right, everybody, we will be back after this quick break. Uh, word from our sponsors to break down the USA-Wales game and talk a little bit more about futures as we enter into the best time of the sporting calendar. Your first bet with Caesars Sportsbook and Casino. It's on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code C-Z-R-F-U-L-L and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. That first bet also gives you a thousand tier credits and a thousand reward credits, putting you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer free stays, game tickets, experiences, and more. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Washington, D.C. 
Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Yes, you have to know when to stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, or if you know someone who has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or in Maryland, visit MarylandGamblingMDGamblingHelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, Arizona. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Call 1-800-522-4700, Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Iowa. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF, Louisiana. Call 1-877-770-STOP, Michigan. Call 1-800-270-7117, New York. Call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. That's 467-369. Or text C-O-N-N-E-X to 247-247, Tennessee. Call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, everyone. We are back. Um, that was an excellent interview with Ryan. Really enjoyed talking to him. But now let's get down to the brass tacks. Let's get down to gambling. Let's get down to World Cup. Let's the get nonsense. down to all the fun the that we are going to have together over the next month. Uh, if you missed our appearance on AAO, I highly encourage you to go back and just listen for Toby's to it. outfit and the video <laughs> cutout. Just for Toby's yeah, outfit. That's it. Don't even go, listen to anything. Just watch the video cutout on mute. Go back and listen to the podcast for my outfit. That is an excellent advice. Let's see why you're one of the best in the business. Uh, so Marketing. both of us, both of us gave out Brazil uh, for your kind of longer shot. You gave out the Netherlands at plus fourteen hundred. I gave out England at plus a thousand. Real quick sentence on why you like the Netherlands in this tournament. Uh, they're just coming in playing well. Like they have a probably one of the top two managers in the in the tournament. Um, there's a, like like we talked about on the show. There's some correlation between teams playing well and then teams advancing deep into the World Cup. Um, and they are definitely one of those teams. They're up to to fourth in the Elo ratings. Um, so I mean, four teams make the semifinals, and from there it's pretty much a series of coin flips. Um, so. You know, they're good. Like they have good talent. They have a great bunch of center backs. Uh, Frankie de Young has obviously had his issues with Barcelona, uh, but he's still a really talented player. Um, there's going to be some guys like Denzel Dumfries and Cody Gakpo that could surprise you. So I would keep an eye on him. Yeah. And I really like England. Um, 
They're very deep. They have talent all over the pitch. Depth is going to be interesting this year, Brett. I mean, this is a topic I'd be more than happy to be dive, dive into you. I actually meant to ask Ryan, but I'll settle for you. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's because, really what you literally did that. You literally settled for me. <laughs> <laughs> because of the because of the condensed calendar and the crazy club run up into this, and then you know even the tournament itself is shorter, uh, they are allowing five subs. And so is there some sort of counterbalance to having players from the best leagues in the world that have played a ton of minutes versus having the depth at some of these nations like Brazil and England and Germany that have a lot, you know, up and down the roster, they have quality backups and fresh legs that they can bring onto the pitch with, you think, a competitive advantage in the tournament? Uh, I think if international managers or soccer managers in general were more aggressive with using subs, you would make the argument that like a fresh, cause fresh player, like we, we, we probably have talked about this on one of our podcasts way back. I know we've talked about subs before, but subs typically score at a high rate and that, and it literally fits the conventional wisdom, fresh legs. You bring a guy that's not tired after running around for 60 minutes. Um, you bring somebody on, they're obviously going to be more apt to score a goal. The data supports that, right? So if these managers were really aggressive, like if there's a manager that like, is like uh, the raise when they were starting relief pitchers um, for a while there. Like if you see a manager in, the, in this tournament that starts doing stuff like that, where they're subbing at halftime, where they're subbing at the 50th minute and the 55th minute, not because they're down or they're mad at the, how their team's playing, but because they know that subs are going to have an outsized impact if they're basically along the same caliber that they're coming in as. So in theory, you would want the depth, right? You'd want the equal guys and then just continue to rotate your um, fresher players. But I think with the way that soccer is currently at where it's at, I just think the star power is still going to win out. Even if they're tired, even if the Harry Canes of the world have been running to the ground, like the pressing isn't as intense in, in international tournaments like we just talked about with Brian. I still think you go with the star power over the balanced depth. But again, I think this tournament might be very chalky in terms of who advances. And I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm going to look back on that and be like, that was way wrong. (laughs) Well, speaking of Harry Kane, he's the leader in the odds to win the golden boot. We talked about this on the show last night as well. Um, He is plus 800, I believe. And Bappe's plus 900. Harry Kane, of course, won these, this award four years ago. Uh, You gave out Messi as your top pick. I believe that was plus 1400. I gave out Vinicius Jr. at plus 2,500. And then my favorite long shot bet of all futures for this tournament, Darwin Nunez, your guy, plus 5,000 for Uruguay. And I was surprised. I know know me and Sal and the D3 kind of overwhelmed that conversation a little bit, but you didn't pipe up a whole much to support my Nunez pick. Are you hesitant on him in the World Cup? Or are you just kind of overwhelmed by our nonsense? This is a hesitancy there. One, I don't think they're going to be that high flying of a team in the group as far as like the goal scorer. I agree with with your point on AO, the group is not very strong, but their first match, I believe if I sketched out the knockout rounds, right. Would be Brazil. And that means that he is going home after four matches and doesn't even get like maybe one additional match to poke home another goal or two. So that was really the only drawback. Like I think Nunez is great. Um, I, you talked about the history of, of Uruguayan strikers um, in the world cup, like Diego Forlan had one of like a tournament for the ages um, was that Oh six, right? Yeah. Oh six. 10, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely like a legacy thing here too, that I think is kind of interesting. Um, I think it's a good pick. Like I, it wasn't, I didn't pipe up because I like didn't have anything to say about it. I guess the only drawback to me is like their first match out of the doc or out of the group stages, they're probably going home. 
Um, and against, like Ryan said, a team that has allowed like four goals literally a year um, is not the ideal matchup that you want in that uh, not for only knockout round game that you have. Yeah. And just so we're not just repeating things we said yesterday, I did think about something last night that I did not say on the show that I should have brought up. Harry Kane won the golden boot last time around, largely on the back of penalties. Um, and also just like beating the heck out of people in the group stage. So it is a reason that your messy pick uh, is is really good. Not that I doubted it last night, but because he does take penalties for Argentina and they're set to make a deep, a deep run. Um, and Vinicius Jr. is probably not going to take penalties for Brazil. That'll be yeah, Neymar. It'll probably, it'll probably be Neymar, which is he was one of the other guys that I had. At, at, I think it's plus 1,200. Yeah, plus 1,200. And, but Nunez might take him if Suarez isn't, isn't on the pitch. And even if he is, I think Nunez should probably take him. So it's another reason I really like that plus 5,000. Given that penalties can have an outsized impact on the golden boot, is there anybody we didn't mention last night as you look at the odds who's a penalty taker that might be worth a shout just for that reason? That, this is a question. I, it's so weird. And as someone that plays DFS soccer, I hate this when random dudes like take penalties after one guy's taken them all year. Um, I would think Mbappe would take him for France. I would think, but then all of a sudden like Benzema might step up and take one or Griezmann. I mean, I could see definitely see Griezmann taking the ball and taking one. Um, so like I, uh, Mbappe is incredible. Like he, the, the, the amount of shots he takes in the competitions that he's in for his club team and the quality of those shots is such an insane combination so if you throw in that he's going to be France's penalty taker, even though the odds aren't as good as Neymar and Messi, like he's plus 900. If he's the guy taking pens for France, I think you have to put him in that conversation. The only thing is, is I can't guarantee he was going to do that. Most of that penalty stuff is like closed doors. Like they have an order before the match, sometimes even match to match it changes. Um, and with the star power on France, like, can you really guarantee that even though he's Mbappe, like he is definitely going to be the guy that takes that penalty? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what I know we've been tough on Belgium, but let's, let's give our guy Harry a little bit of love. Like Harry loves them at plus 1600 to come through. He's been terribly out of shape. And I've obviously said some really, really mean things that I don't regret at all on this podcast, but Lukaku <laughs> is the penalty taker for Belgium. Do you think there's any chance that even though Belgium plus 1600 might be a bad bet that Lukaku, I, I think he's like plus 2400 for the golden boot might make Harry a little bit happier. Yeah. I mean, the, what the way that they're going to play, right? Like, so the, the reason that I am not very keen on them is because they are going to dominate possession and then they're going to have two very old center backs as part of their back three that are going to need to cover a lot of space for teams that are going to be sitting back looking to counter them. Well, the flip side of a team sitting back looking to counter is what? That the ball's in the danger part of the field for them a lot. So that could be the thing is like Belgium suppresses these teams in the final third Balls hit hands, uh, you know, players get tripped. And then all of a sudden Belgium has three or four penalties in the group stages, right? Um, definitely not out of the realm of possibility, especially with the fact that these teams are just coming together. Uh, it's in the middle of the season. There's going to be some fatigue. So there's going to be guys sticking out legs and maybe they shouldn't. There's going to be guys making bad decisions with their body parts when maybe they shouldn't. Um, so like that would be the argument I would think is that, that Belgium is a team that is capable of possessing the ball in this tournament. They're going to be on the front foot in a lot of these matches. So 
there's the chance that with the top more time, the ball is in the danger areas that there's more penalties and that would get you to where you want to go. So I'm going to surprise you with a question before we get into the USA Wales game and then it'll be enough foreplay. We can jump into the main event. Um, you just said a few minutes ago that you expect this to be a chalky tournament is, and I, I have said that I really like Japan as a live dog out of their group. Is there anyone that isn't favored to go through that you actually like to advance? You, you think it's going to be all chalk or a team like Japan who Caesars has at plus 333 to advance? Is there anybody else that you would take uh, with plus money to get through? Uh, Iran um, out of group, unfortunately, out of the U.S. group, group B. Um, I think they were plus 400 last time I checked. Plus- Plus 400 iron sheet, but go on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, again, we talked about it uh, with the fact that England, well, this was on AAO last night. We talked about it, that England's been stumbling coming into the tournament. The U S does not look good coming into the tournament. Uh, Wales is relying on two extremely washed players and uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. Gareth Bale has played uh, 26 competitive soccer minutes since the last week of September, uh, which doesn't seem ideal. Um, so like, this is just a, they're a very basic team. Like uh, Carlos Quirez, like he, or he's a Portuguese manager. They organize, they play a four counterattacking four, three, three. They have many who's really, really good. You could actually probably make the case that he is the most informed attacker in group B right now. Um, and these teams like England is super conservative. So the, the route I see for Iran, it's very simple. It's a boring nil, nil draw against England. They counterattack the U.S. and the U.S. has had problems with that. See the Canada match and the qualifying um, for a win there. And then they beat Wales the same way. Like that's seven points. That's out of the group. That's also them winning the group, which is plus 2000, by the way. Um, so there, there's a big window. I think they're kind of overlooked because it's like Iran. Um, but I, I think there's a pretty big margin of value in those bets. And you also don't like Belgium all that much. I mean, we just talked about Lukaku and, and we talked about earlier with Ryan. Uh, if, if Belgium does fall on their face and they're the ones on that flight two weeks from now, God, what a miserable flight that would be. Uh, the, the two dogs from their group to advance, Group F, are Morocco and Canada. Morocco is plus 225 to advance. Canada is plus 310. Between those two teams, which one do you think is the better number to take Belgium's place in the round of 16? I think Morocco is the better side. And I'm mostly saying that because your boy Zayic is Moroccan. No, um, no, I, uh, no, I think Morocco is probably the better side. Um, I think that I wouldn't say that, that they necessarily, I like Alfonso Davies is going to rip through this group. I think it's going to be really, um, really, really cool to watch him with his athleticism and skill. Um, playing on the counter against some of these teams. I think he's going to have a lot of electrifying moments, Um, but I think Morocco as a whole just has more talent. Um, So I do think if it's Croatia and another team that isn't Belgium, even with the way the lines are are right now, I still think I would lean Morocco. I just think they're a more sound group than Canada is, uh, but I think Canada may also produce some of the most exciting moments in the group stages. Yeah. That that group has so many, you know, star players for their national team, right? Like now that you have KDB and Courtois for Belgium, who are arguably two of the ten best players in the tournament, but uh Davies is gonna carry Canada on his back. Luka Modric, uh even at thirty seven. I mean 
He, and he does have it does have Kova next to him, but Modric was you know kind of the singular revela- revelation from the last World Cup, winning the golden ball, even though his team didn't win at all, and like carrying Croatia to a Cinderella run all the way to the finals. And then in Morocco, uh, you have Akimi, right? Like one yeah. of the one of the best players that people don't pay attention to, mainly because he doesn't shine on the national stage and he doesn't play in the Premier League. If he had transferred to Manchester United instead of PSG, I think he'd be a household name all over the place. And so that's a very interesting group that is top heavy uh, on their rosters without, you know, kind of similar quality around their star players. Yeah. And I, I mean, really the, the fun part, and if, if, if you were going to bet outcomes and, and be really smart about like what you could bet to like hedge certain things, um, there is literally no outcome in group F that I think is off the table. Like I could, I could definitely see, Canada and Morocco both advanced out of the group. That would not shock me. Um, so, I mean, I think that really is the group that like, I think is going to be the most fun. I think there's a lot of hidden value in some of these vets to advance or to win the group. Um, I think that's the one where if you're going to really have some fun, if you're going to put multiple bets down for outcomes, that's the group that you focus on. Yeah, I, my memory's a little bit hazy. All the years run together, time's a flat circle. But I think it was 2014, it was like Italy and England were like heavy favorites to go out of their group, and both of them got eliminated and flew home. So you're talking about something similar potentially happening in F, uh, just because that whole group could be chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's just it's bad matchups for the, the heavy favorites. I mean, that's the thing is Croatia and Belgium do not match up well against the other two teams in their group. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Well, we'll revisit the futures after we get results. We'll keep looking at these numbers and seeing where we find value. Um, But we are already boring enough taking Brazil to win it all. Hopefully we gave you some other things that you could put some hard-earned money behind. But let's get to it, Brett. Enough. Enough. Enough is enough. Is it time? Is it time, Toby? It it is time. We are finally here after the embarrassment of 2018, crashing out, not even making it to the World Cup. We get to don the red, white, and blue on international soil in the greatest sporting event in the world for the first time in eight years. On Monday, November 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern, the United States of America is playing Wales. USA is plus 160. Wales is plus 200. The draw is plus 190. USA minus half a goal is plus 145 on Caesars and Wales is minus 185 to get a draw or a win. If you think I am a Chelsea homer, you have no idea (laughs) what you're in for for the next couple of weeks. And so since I cannot be trusted to be objective whatsoever, Brett, why don't you go ahead and give your analysis and pick before I dive in? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I teased it a little bit with talking about Bale and Aaron Ramsey. Um, I, uh, this is the reason this, I'll put it this way. This is how I got to the draw for this match. The U S has this weird conundrum where they are better with the less possession they have. It's maybe something to do with just our DNA as a U.S. team. Um, but we are better when we counterattack and have less of the ball than when we do have it. Um, so they, in this match, they will, <laughs> they will definitely have control of the lion's share of possession. And that means that Gareth Bale is going to have a bunch of space to run in on. Now, if Gareth Bale was not just kind of like doing a semi-retirement gig in MLS before this tournament, I would have been a lot more bullish than thinking this is super dangerous. Wales can very easily win this match and any plus money means you're getting some value. I just don't know what the Wales stars are going to be because the attacker, like 
that's probably the next best attacker on Wales is Kiefer Moore from <laughs> Bournemouth, um, who is not the most inspiring dude that you want as like your next best attacking option. So I don't really feel good about taking Wales, but the U.S. has been really poor in the in the lead up to this World Cup. I have questions about Pulisic because as a Chelsea fan, you see the best of him in the sense that he plays with other really good players. So he focused uh, as a Chelsea fan. I haven't seen the best of him since the restart from COVID. Yes, that's true. I was also going to bring that up. It has been a long time since we've seen the best of him. Um, yes. But his thing is making the off ball runs while the other Chelsea players do the things that get him the ball in the box in the U S we have seen this. He loves to drop deep and think he's messy. And then he starts doing the things that he's not all that good at. So I have questions about his FC in this tournament in general, because I don't think, I think he's going to be so fired up because of the failure of 2018, where he put on an absolute show, trying to put that team on his back to get him to the world cup. And it came up short. That dude is going to be going, being extra, trying to do everything he can now that he finally got here. I just think that it might be detrimental in some ways to them. So uh, those combinations, the fact that we don't really know what this team looks like with Reina, cause we haven't seen him. Um, the center back reshuffling, where is it going to be Tim Ream next to Walker Zimmerman? Is it going to be Aaron Long? There's just a lot of questions about this U.S. team coming in. And so that doesn't make me confident to pick them. And that's where I went the coward's way out. And I took the draw. 1-1 seems very, very, very likely as a scoreline to me. <laughs> I think that was all extraordinarily well reasoned. I uh, agree with all of your points. I think everything you said makes sense. My, but my response is USA, USA, USA. There is no freaking world in which I am taking the coward's way out. There is no freaking world I am taking Wales in this matchup. And you took my, my uh, twenty-three and me. A non-small part of the you know kind of pie would be Welsh, and I say screw it. I don't care for the Welsh for ninety minutes. You are my enemy, even if you are my ancestry. We are coming for you, Wales. We have been waiting eight years for this moment, and I'm not going to believe this is going to be 1998 again. I do not believe that we are going to get out of there with zero points. I believe that we are going to get a result here, and it's not just going to be one. It is going to be three, and I believe that because I have to believe it. Iran is dangerous. You've already proven that point to me, and I agree with you. I think a win against England would be an extraordinarily tall task. So this isn't a, a absolute must win because there's no such thing in the first round, but we need a strong result against Wales. Wales is clearly, to me, the worst team in the group. As you said, Bale has been on a retirement tour in the MLS. He's 33 years old. He cares way about more about golf and, and things like that than he does about <laughs> soccer at this point. He, he will so literally awesome be playing that, golf for the rest of his life in like three weeks. So, <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I think it's great that he's going to be out there. I've seen Ethan Ampadu. I've seen him a lot. And he, uh, I know he plays better for the Welsh team than he does for the club teams. But he can't crack into the lineup of a big team. So why am I going to be afraid for him either? They don't have anybody on the team that drives uh, fear into my heart. And I know that they've got these like outsized results in knockout tournaments before. But I'm glad we drew them. I'm glad that they beat the Ukraine because I didn't want that nightmare trying to root against you know the world's team at this point. And I believe that we have the individual quality to beat them. Now, do we have the managerial quality? I am not so sure about that. I think it's going to be a little bit <laughs> crazy to try to take it to them. I think this is almost like at kickoff, both teams should run away from the ball and dare the <laughs> other one to take it. That might be uh, a, that might be our Iran and Wales. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it very well might be. I mean, like we're going to see some of the same thing versus Iran. But we have more individual quality at places on the pitch, more individual quality than I think we've ever had at the U- United States of America. And they're young. So I don't believe that, you know, kind of the tiredness narrative is going to weigh down on them as much as it, it is in other places. Like as Ryan was saying earlier, they're healthy for the first time. They're going to be able to play together for the first time. They have young, fresh legs and they have 2026 coming, staring them dead in the face. And they want to excite all of us and get us really reared up and have soccer take over America as it should have many years ago. So <laughs> because I believe all of that, no matter what you say about Wales, no matter what you say about styles of play, no matter what you say that are these well-reasoned points, I believe that we will win, Brett, and I am willing to back it with my dollars at plus 160. Let's go. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, listen, dude, I, I can't rate on the parade. I love that. The, the, only, the only other thing I will say is if we think that this U.S. team, especially Pulisic, is going to be fired up. Wales has not been into a World Cup since what was it, 58? So there's uh, going to be a ton of emotion, which had me looking at a bunch of first half, like a thir- first 30 minutes bets. I didn't get there for my prop, but I do think that the the one of the and this is to me was one of the weirder lines that I saw. It was plus 105 for yes for both teams to score. I do I is that like a misprint? I don't like what <laughs> I, I guess. Like, I, I don't see where this match doesn't. I know. I know there's a, like a lack of quality attackers, but neither of these teams are inspiring in the least with their defensive capabilities. Like Serginio Des and Anthony Robinson as fullbacks, really good going forward. Not so good at the defending part. We already yeah. talked about the U S center back partnership is not really solidified. Matt Turner has been hurt and is just coming back from injury and has also moved to Arsenal and hasn't really been playing competitive matches other than cup games. So like the U S defense has major questions to me. And I also think that the same thing, Wales is just not going to be that good defensively. So the fact that this is a plus number, Toby, like tell me, am I missing something to what's happening here? Uh, I don't think you're missing anything. And that was one of the ones I wrote down. And because I think that there could be a you know a goal on each side here, I looked at the anytime goal scorers. And I just went down the list and I tried to figure <laughs> out if the USA is going to win, who needs to get on the score sheet. And obviously, um, uh, Pulisic is is high on that list. He's at plus four hundred. I don't know if I see it in this matchup. I think he's going to be trying so dang hard, and he's going to you know really be feeling in his feelings in this match that I'm not sure he's going to get on the score sheet or not. I really hope he does, obviously. But the guy I settled on is Brendan Aronson of your leads at plus 450. Guy has been an absolute terror down the right in the Premier League. He is in the top form. He is arguably in the top four individual form of any player putting on the red, white, and blue coming into this Absolutely. And the, the fact that you're getting plus 450 for him, I think he's he's got to start. I think, you know, Reyna and Weo, like they can push him, but I think he's got to be the guy coming down the right. And I don't think that the Welsh defense can handle the energy that he's going to bring. And because the spotlight's not quite as bright on him uh, and he can be able to drift into these spaces because he's not, you know, the, the marked man that Pulisic is. I think he is who slots home and sends me into fits of rapture of glory as we take a 1-0 lead. And that 1-0 lead... My second prop, this is kind of a fun one. USA scores the first goal and the goal comes after the 30th minute. 
That is plus 270. I know you're trying to thread a needle there, but because I said at the beginning that both teams should probably run away from the ball from kickoff, I think it has an opportunity to be a really slow start, which would be something very new for America at the World Cup because there always seems to be a goal almost immediately (laughs) for or against historically. But I think we break that against the Welsh team that's not even going to try to press the attack. I think the goals come, you know, end of the first half and in the second half as tired legs uh, kick in and these defenses become a little bit more in tatters because they weren't well organized in the first place. And so I, when I was scanning the sheet, that one stood out to me as a really fun one to take and one that I think has a, a good fact pattern to follow it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, especially with the way that these teams want, want to play. Wales is not going to be aggressive pressing and they want to sit back and counter. Verhalter wants to play a super patient possession type system, which that's a whole other podcast where we talk about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like that. That's actually a really good find. You and your, you comb, man, you find every little nook and cranny and you scope it out and then you land on it. I like that one. Well, I've been thinking about this for four years. I could take an extra 10 minutes to actually look at the sheet, Brett. Always with I, the didn't, I, I did not drop an actually. I did not drop an uh, actually. Uh, you sound like Eddie Spaghetti. He said he didn't throw it from 60 yards from his knees. I've got the tape, sir. Michael's going to play that back. And you just said the word actually, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's get into the next matchup rather than fight in front of the folks. Nobody wants to see their parents fight. <laughs> we're, going, we're going full NAFTA here. We're going to cover Mexico and Canada as well. In rounds two and three, each of us will pick up. Uh, um, you know, non-USA games. But we did that here. We actually landed on games that we thought were most interesting that just happened to feature North America squads. So let's first ta- tackle Mexico versus Poland Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Mexico is plus 175. Poland is plus 180. The draw is plus 195. Mexico minus half a goal is plus 165. Poland is minus 210. So another match that the odds makers are basically throwing their hands up and saying all three results are equally possible. This and the USA games are the ones that are most closely handicapped of all the first round games. How do you see this one going, Brett? This is, it's very tempting, I think, and maybe this is just me, but like you see a name like Robert Lewandowski on Poland and, and Lewandowski, and maybe we can argue about this, maybe we won't, uh, is one of the best, strikers goal scorers in the last 20 years like without a doubt oh, yeah. no argument like, yeah. he is incredible at putting the ball back in the net he has had absurd goal tallies he has defied the aging curve but despite of all this poland has never really done much and the supporting cast around him is just so weak they're so weak they had to naturalize maddie cash from aston villa to play right back for him uh there's a hint for you um so <laughs> They just don't inspire me at all. I, I think Lewandowski is incredible, uh, but he just, it, the part of the reason that he has also been incredible is when he, he's played at Bayern, he has been able to feed off incredible service from the, the, um, the players behind him because that's Bayern, right? They have a ton of talent in Poland. He has to do more of the other stuff because the supporting cast is so much weaker. And that takes him away from doing the thing that he's incredible at, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. So they, they don't inspire me, I, but I also think that this is one of the weakest versions of Mexico that we ever have seen. I still would lean plus one, 175 for Mexico. And this is in, in partnership with my prop bet, which is Irving Lozano, Chucky baby, um, as an anytime goal scorer, plus 250. So Lozano plays for Napoli. I know we, we focus a lot on the Premier League. Napoli is one of the best teams in the world right now. Uh, they have, they have one of the most fearsome attacks in the world right now. And Lozano is a big 
part of that attack. He is really, really good. I think he is going to be able to feast on this uh, Polish defense here. He, he gets off a lot of shots at Napoli. He's a real high energy player. And he's to me, the most likely Mexican player to score, even with Raul Jimenez has come back. Um, but he's also not fit. And so this seems to be, if they're going to win, if there's going to be goals, Lozano is going to be involved in some end of it. And so I, I think that at plus 250, that's a really, really good number for it. Yeah, the, the Lewandowski point's uh, an excellent one. Um, the difference in club play and country play is almost nowhere clearer than striker. So you have Erling Haaland, who's, you know, I, I, the guy we keep talking about, right? Like this absolute beast of a man who's taking over the Premier League by storm. Well, he's sitting at home watching this tournament right. because he's from Norway. And Mo Salah, you know, multi-golden ball winner, one of the most influential goal scorers in the last five years, is also sitting at home for Egypt. Poland at least qualified. But one of the biggest differences between club and country for these guys is if they rely on service, their club countries can go out and spend hundreds of millions of dollars either buying them or developing them through the academy to provide them some of the best service in the world that they can feast on. In your country, you're just limited to where people were born. And so Poland has real challenges actually taking advantage of this nuclear weapon they have in front because they can't get service to them from the side and they can't get strong midfield play to get the linkage from the back to the front to give him what he needs to feast. And so I'm with you on Mexico. I'm taking them at plus 175 because despite having Lewandowski, uh, I don't see how Poland generates a whole lot of offense throughout this tournament. I would be fading them in basically every matchup they're in. And I'm also working backwards, right? Like Mexico, despite this being one of the, you know, the least impressive versions of El Tree, they always make the round of 16. They always do it. I don't know how they always do it. And if, if they you know lose or draw to Poland, then uh, that's going to be in danger. And because I'm not high on Poland and because I do think they have an excellent chance to get through, I got to take Mexico plus 175 to win this game for the, for the prop bet. A little bit building off of what I was saying with Poland and also this being a weakened El Tree. Uh, both teams to score, no, minus 125. I could, I could absolutely see either of these teams taking a donut. And so being able to you know get both of them at almost even number at that minus 125 makes me really happy. And I'm more than happy to back that with some dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we're 100% on the same page. Um, I just, it, it would have been a lot more of a fun matchup. And I think I, I should put it this way. There are like some other decent attackers on Poland. Um, so there's uh, Peter Zielinski who plays for Napoli. Uh, there's Milik who play, who's kind of used to play for Napoli. He had some injuries, but he's actually kind of revitalized himself a little bit at Juventus this year. But the problem is with both those players is they don't fit well with Lewandowski. Like what you want with a guy like Lewandowski is you want a guy that's going to play him the ball in the penalty area. Milik is a pure poacher and Zielinski is like an attacking midfielder that kind of like gets into the box and like, finishes stuff like think maybe more like along the lines of God, this is a terrible Everton <laughs> throwback, but like Davy Klassen <laughs> type of dude. No. Um, so like, they're good. Like those two guys are good players, but they also don't mesh with the best player on Poland. And so I really just think like, you know, we talk about some of parts and all that stuff. The fact that it doesn't fit together. I just think it's going to be a really disjointed world cup run for Poland. I just think, like you said, fading them, lack of goals, um, unless Zelensky hits a crazy, awesome free kick, which, you know, that could happen. Um, I, I think this is going to be just a really tough world cup for them. 
Yeah, and just one last little trend. This is just some weird idiosyncrasy I found. The last four polling games, one team didn't score. And unbelievably, 11 out of the last 15 Mexico games, one team went home without a goal. So somehow, some way, Mexico is dictating games, uh, mainly in CONCACAF well, qualifying, that led to either them not scoring or the other team taking home zero. Yeah, and one thing I should say is is one of the other really good players on Mexico that won't get talked about is Edison Alvarez. And Alvarez is the defensive mil- midfielder for Ajax. Um, so when you talk about the reason that teams aren't scoring, especially in the World Cup, having a really good defensive midfielder that can win the ball back Huge thing. So I, I did. I didn't think it would be that many. That's an interesting stat. But that's uh, yeah. That's a, it's a. It just seems to me like that's a great bet. I want to, dude. You're giving me bets that I want to steal now. I want to change my five pine like twice already. <laughs> oh, don't steal them for the five pines. Just put them in real life, Brad. Come on, yeah. win it where it counts. Uh, all right, let's go talk about our neighbors to the north before before we get out of here. And I try to do something to keep a thought in my head before Monday arrives. <laughs> uh, we got Belgium versus Canada. This is Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, an excellent viewing window for those of us in America. Belgium is minus 215. Canada is plus 600. The draw is plus 325. Belgium minus a goal and a half is plus 127. Canada is minus 165. We've, we've talked a lot about Belgium. Uh, we haven't talked quite as much about Canada, so I know we're, we're a little bit higher on them. We talked about them for being able to get out of the group. But how do you see this game breaking down tactically, Brett, as you try to handicap it? Yeah, I mean, we, we did kind of allude to it a little bit. Um, I mean, Canada, and we saw, we actually, we saw, as U.S. fans, we saw this. Um, Alfonso Davies is going to be a nightmare in this World Cup. He's really good. He plays left back for Bayern. Like, he's just an awesome athlete. He's really skilled. And Canada uses him like Byron has the ability to like, just be like, yeah, you have to do some defensive stuff for us because we have so many good attackers. You don't really need to be out there. Like Canada, you are getting full unleashed Alfonso Davies and that's going to be super fun. So like, even though they're not the best team, uh, I would tune into a lot of Canada matches if you have the time, because I think he's going to be really, really fun. And this is going to be a matchup where he is going against two really old, probably verging on wash center backs. It is going to be very interesting. It's and, and the whole game plan for Canada is just going to be to let Belgium come onto them, create those huge spaces and then play the ball forward. Ryan mentioned Jonathan David. Uh, they also have Kyle Laren who applies his trade. I think he moved to Belgium. He wasn't in the Turkish super league, but uh, like Laren is also like another very competent striker attacker. Um, Davey, uh, David and Alfonso Davies are more of the wingery types. Those three are going to be dangerous. Like they're going to cause problems. They are going to score goals against Croatia. They are definitely going to score goals against Belgium. Um, well, maybe not score, but they're going to create the chances to score very easily. So this is going to be the game plan for Canada. It's going to be sit back, absorb pressure, get these guys into space, take advantage of some older midfield in Croatia, of some, a very creaky defense in Belgium. I I think this match has the potential for to be a really fun, like 2-1, 3-2 type of thing or 2-2 type of draw. Um, I am taking Canada plus 600 because Woo! I am. I was wondering if you were going to go all the way. I am not a coward this time. I am taking wow. Canada to win this match. I love World Cup, Brett. World Cup, Brett, so much more fun than <laughs> Premier League, Brett. <laughs> and I am, I am doubling down on the goal scoring as well. Canada is plus 330 for over one and a half goals, Toby. Plus 330 to score two against this Belgium team. 
come on, man, make it, yeah. make it hard for me. Make me actually have to think. <laughs> I do like that quite a bit. Um, I'm with you on Canada. I'm not with you on the plus 600. I think, uh, I think a draw is entirely possible here, but I, I do think they will score. So whether they get to one or two, I'm, I'm not certain. I love that plus three, what was it? Three thirty. Plus three thirty. Yeah. If, if Thibaut Courtois wasn't the Belgium goalie, you know, I would be like throwing money at that. But like we saw him almost single-handedly win the Champions League final last year, probably the best goalie in the world right now, as much as it burns my heart and stings my tongue for the words <laughs> to come out of my mouth. Uh, that snake, the way he left Chelsea. But if I think Canada could get on the score sheet one, uh, I don't think Belgium is going to get to three. So even if it's minus 165, that minus one and a half is uh, is an excellent number. And I also like the under two and a half goals here at plus 105. So just in case Canada doesn't score, you can still win the the bet above at 1-0 or, or nil-nil draw, or you can get it at 1-1. And you could also cash that under 2.5 goals. I just... I, I'm. I need to see it from Belgium. Like you, you've already called out their aging defense. This is why I think that uh, Canada could obviously get on the score sheet. I just don't see it as much going forward. Like KDB, uh, for anybody who listens to our podcast, knows it's one of my absolute most admired players in the entire world. But Lukaku, what, what are we getting from him? Like we talked about his Golden Boot odds earlier. Like he has maybe the highest level of variability in this entire tournament. If you told me he scored eight goals, I'd believe you. If you told me that he never played again after the first game, I'd believe that as well. Like he quit on Chelsea. He hasn't been good since he went back to Inter. I know he's been good for Belgium, better than his club teams historically, but I've got to see it. I've got to see it before I don't fade them. And as much as it also it hurts me to say Hazard hasn't been the guy that he was when uh, he became a, a blue legend in, in Chelsea over all those years, He's been terrible at Real Madrid. He's been injured, and even when he plays, he hasn't been impactful. So this golden generation that we're seeing from Belgium, we've seen their best days. And so until I see them kind of fight against time and rage against the machine and come back and and show some form, I'm going to take the other side, particularly when the oddsmakers are making them goal-and-a-half favorites and non-prohibitive odds. So more than happy to do it this time around. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing I I will say – about the Belgian attacking situation. It's not good. Don't get me wrong. But Canada has also never seen a midfielder in qualifying like Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and also well, nobody we, has. He's the best in the world. Like yeah, Nobody plays like KDB. No, yeah, that's very, very, very true. And so Canada's defense isn't exactly stout and they haven't ever played that level of quality. Um, so even though I agree wholeheartedly on everything that you've said about Belgian's attackers, I still think that the KDB magic is going to produce stuff here for him. And also, you know, XG does come for everybody but Lionel Messi and Yuri Tillman's Thunder Bastards from 30 yards out. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm glad I'm glad his name came up. It's like Trissard and Tillemans. Like I, I'd love to see them get a lot more shine than, you know, the guys that usually get it for Belgium. And I, if I was trying to make the other point, like if I went the other way on this bet, uh, I'd be pointing to KDB set pieces. Like if he gets, uh, if he gets to line the ball up, no matter if there's a wall or not in front of him and it's anywhere within striking distance, I love him to bury it uh, against this Canadian defense. And so if you do want to take the other side, if you do want to be bullish on Belgium, uh, the fact that set pieces are an outsized part of the international game and they have one of the best guys at the world at them would be a good reason to take that side of the bet. 
Yeah. And, and the one thing, and this is the very on XG type of number or well, like it's not even a static, this is a naming things, but uh, here is a list of teams that have scored against Canada, Honduras, Panama, <laughs> Costa Rica, Panama again, El Salvador. Uh, those teams are not nearly as good and they don't have Kevin DeBurn. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I like goals. That's why I like goals in this match. I think it's going to be, I mean, I have also sat through the Roberto Martinez Everton era. I've seen this movie before. Yeah. Aging, aging defense and Roberto Martinez. That does not end well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry, Harry. We're not with you on Belgium this year. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we are way over time, right? We have kept our, our friends here. We're now we're treading on their patience, but this is it for us, guys. Like we wait, you know, four years for this to happen. So thanks for giving us an extra 20 minutes. But let's give you let's get you the five pint and then let's get you out of here. Uh, Brett, for my five pint, and by the way, I, I read so much World Cup stuff and watched the reaction videos to the 91st minute uh, 1-0 Landon Donovan versus Algeria in 2010 videos so many times. I, I did that so much. I did not even have time to calculate where we're at of the five pint, but I do know you're up on me because you did go five for five last week. So kudos. Um, don't have the updated score. I'll get it to you the next time we do this. I'm going for my five picks. I'm going unsurprisingly. Come on. USA, USA, <laughs> USA. Plus Ooh. 160 for one pint. I don't care uh, if I'm a homer. I'm at least putting something up to risk. Uh, I'm going with that Canada plus a goal and a half and minus 165 for a pint. Uh, I'm going against you on the goal score for Canada and Belgium. Under 2.5 goals, plus 105 at a pint. Mexico, Poland, both teams to score no. Minus 125 for a pint. And for my last pint, I'm giving out something that I gave out on Against All Odds that we haven't talked about yet on this show. It is a six-team parlay to qualify for the knockout round. So these six teams will qualify for the knockout round. Brazil, France, England, Argentina, Portugal, Denmark. You put those six together, you get a plus 120 number, and you get to cash that ticket um, around the 3rd of December. So uh, those are my five. What about yours? I will I will look forward to you trying to figure out how you can get Garrett Southcase to reimburse you for that bet. Um, <laughs> I, I am, I'm just going big, Toby. Like This is going to be a great start for me. It's going to be awful. Um, there are two pints that are going to be sitting on Canada at plus 600. All right? Oh, 
Oh, I love Two it. Pines. World Cup Brett. World Cup Brett. World <laughs> Cup Brett. <laughs> You're like the guy that slides down the steps in the 91st minute video, which that is so sad <laughs> that I've watched that video so much I can remember an individual reaction from it. Um, that and I know every word of the song, wave and flag. That's a whole other thing. All right. Two pints, though. Canada plus 600. Uh, another pint on the plus 330 of the over of one and a, uh, one and a half Canada goals. Um, I am taking Chucky. Herbie Lozano, Lozano, anytime goal scorer at plus 250. And last but not least, I will have a U.S. bet. It is not a pro U.S. bet. Well, I guess it kind of is because they're going to score. Uh, the, the plus 105 of the yes to score in USA Wales. Those are my five. Oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Got to go hose myself off. Uh, Sunday can't hit Cutter fast enough. Cutter Ecuador opens us up on Sunday and then the main event with America on Monday afternoon. Do like I have, take the day off of work, go to a bar, go to uh, wherever your friends are gathered, go to wherever strangers are gathered. There are three of these every four years. Well, not even guaranteed. We didn't even qualify the last time around. Do not waste them. Get with your loved ones. Get with whoever you want. Spend this time together because the moment the USA scores or the moment something exciting happens, being in that crowd, being in that joy, not worrying about you know all the things that divide us, get with this one thing that unites us, get out there and revel in it. That is my final bit of advice. That is what I will be doing on Monday. I know this is kind of a one-way conversation because I'm just talking to a mic and looking into a camera, but we greatly appreciate you joining us. Uh, Brett, I greatly appreciate you. You guys are my community, and I look forward to spending the next month of uh, my life with you guys and the greatest sporting event in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't be more excited, man. I mean, I, I'm the only thing that is more exciting is the Didier Dogba uh, children's book series that you're coming out with that. I'm very much looking forward to that, but no, this world cup is great. I mean, the 91st minute goal is one of the reasons I fell in love with the sport. I, I hope something like this happens for other people. Uh, Cause it's been a lot of fun. It's led me to great relationships like this with you and being able to do something like this. So I, I echo the sentiment entirely, you know, definitely need to keep the conversation about the, things that happen at the forefront to have that awareness of it too but enjoy the soccer enjoy the moments that it's going to bring you it's really great and it's definitely been a, a, such a boon in my life and it basically started right around 2010 is when it really took off yeah and look we'll be back before the usa england game we'll talk about that round and we'll uh revel in the fact that usa beat wales what like six seven nil i think we'll probably <laughs> spend a good five minutes on that <laughs> uh, so for, for Brett, for myself, for Michael, for everybody at extra points and everybody at Omaha, thank you for listening. Uh, go out, enjoy the world cup. We're so excited. It's here and we'll see you in a few days. Take care folks. 